Welcome to This Week in VO with J. Michael Collins. Each week, JMC will host one of the voiceover industry's most interesting personalities for a casual freestyle chat that encompasses more than just business, digging deep into the guest's backstory and pulling back the curtain on how they became the person they are today. And now for this week's guests, Sue Zizza and David Shin. Hi, everybody. It's J. Michael back with another episode of This Week in VO, and I am joined by two really, really cool people today. Um, some of, A couple of them were uh, unique skill set um, artists that we have in the industry in terms of production, in terms of the kind of work that they do, and the background that they've got in the business. I'm joined by Sue Zizza and David Shin. Sue is the owner of Sue Media Productions and Radio Wave Studios. She's been working in audio production for twenty over 25 years and has won numerous awards for her work, most recently having been named the winner of the 2021 Norman Corman Award for Excellence in Audio Theater. In 2013, Sue co-founded the NATF's Here Now Festival after working as their executive director from 1996 through 2008. She specializes in manual sound effects and foley for film, TV, and on-stage production, and also teaches sound production at New York University's Canbar Institute for Film and Television. Sue, thank you for being here today. Well, thank you for inviting us. It's a pleasure. And David Chin is the co-owner of Sue Media Productions and Radio Wave Studios alongside Sue. He's a multi-award-winning sound designer, engineer, and sound effects artist for live and studio productions. His work was recently nominated for a regional Emmy in New York and a national daytime Emmy. He is the technical director for NATF and is a master builder of custom recording and VO studios. He's also a man who enjoys high-quality seafood. Welcome, David. Well, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> the pleasure is all mine. How are things up there in New York right now? Hot and humid. <laughs> but, but busy, busy, busy. Yes, and I'm in a nice air-conditioned recording studio here in Manhattan um, and um, enjoying uh, working in a, in a more comfortable climate. Right. <laughs> inside, inside the studio. I have a lovely window that has a view of the city, so I can still see outside from my studio, which is nice. There you go. I'm, I'm here in Dallas at the moment, which means I'm living in air conditioning because you can't breathe outside. So, <laughs> Sue Media Productions, you guys, I, we, one of the things that is your core is ensemble performance, um, which is a really, really interesting side of the vocal performance business. It's not something I think a lot of voice actors who are in the large audience of, of, of this podcast um, immediately jump to when they think of this industry. Tell us a bit about what that is and what Sue Media Productions does. Well, Jay, Michael, um, ensemble performance is basically taking a full cast of actors that might normally be seen on a stage doing a play or a television or in film and capturing them in sound only. And so the challenge there is the actor has to really challenge channel channel a hundred a hundred a hundred percent of what it is their character is living in the moment through their voice only. So while a stage actor, a film actor, a TV actor would have the benefit of set and blocking and costuming, a voiceover actor who's doing work for us in the kind of ensemble work we produce, whether it's for public radio plays, whether it's taking an audio book and adding the ensemble aspect to it in its production uh, 
imagination, or it's doing um, some of the uh, unique kinds of podcasts and other series that we do, they have to bring everything to the character through that voice. And so it is, um, many actors tell us, a really fun experience because it allows them to totally become the character. I had a student many years ago. Uh, he's a very well-known voiceover actor. He does a lot for animation now. And his name is Lucian Dodge. And he started working with us when he was 13 years old. He had to take literally two buses, a train, and an airplane to get from where he lived in Ithaca to where we were hosting a conference. And he began to experiment doing voice acting at that young age. And now he plays the prince and his evil twin. He plays everybody you can imagine. And he says that part of what he loves so much about it is if you were to look at him physically, he's a little Ichabod Crane-ish, if you know what I mean. He's very thin and he's got, you know, the wild hair all the time and everything. And he's a, a, a very handsome and kind young man, but he would never be cast as the prince. Yet when Lucian speaks, oh my goodness, is he a prince? So, you know, the thing is that uh, an ensemble actor gets to be more than one character very often too. So it gives them that freedom to just be who they want to be without the restrictions of the physicality of their bodies. And David, do you, I mean, do a lot of people find themselves working in this field, coming in as stage actors or theater actors or through the traditional voiceover track? I mean, I, I've been in the voiceover business for over 25 years. I coach. We do all sorts of different things. And this is not an area that I've encountered a whole lot. Um, you know, working in commercial, working in non-broadcast, I do the occasional video game or animation. Um, where, where do we find, how, how, how do people get into this? Well, one of the things that's actually uh, really, I think, gratifying for actors who do actually go and, and jump into this part of our art form is that they're able to actually work with an actor, you know, and, and respond in real time. And a lot of times, like when you have musicians and you record them individually and stitch them together, which you can do, it's lacking certain energy that you get when you have the band together. It's the same thing when you have an ensemble group of actors and they're all able to work off each other, then the sum is greater than the parts. So when uh, someone who's doing strictly voice voiceover for commercials or an audiobook where they're just doing a single voice narration, when they actually try this a lot of them fall in love with it because they realize that they have now created something even larger and so um part of it is people that are into like as you were saying stage actor or film actor but even traditional voiceover who want to go beyond getting everything in that like a sprinter short form everything's packed mm -hmm. into that 30 seconds and then there's the marathoners that are the long form audiobook uh, narrators and and performers that do for hours this gives them a chance to exercise another aspect. And if they're really present and are able to channel that character, it's very gratifying and it's a lot of fun. So most people who do work with us uh, become addicted to it. All of a sudden it's like, wow, I really love this. And fortunately our industry has really started to embrace more of this ensemble production. So when we were first started, we were dragging this rock, you know, Sue has this image of dragging a rock across <laughs> 
up the hill. And now you have the big players actually producing it because they see the value that the consumer will actually pay for it. So you have Audible Originals now. You have a lot of the big publishing houses actually putting the money into a larger ensemble kind of production with full sound design and having a music composer and all of that. So a lot of the times when we put out for, for casting and looking for things, it's not always that they've done it before. It's really if the actor really fits that particular part you know the the quality the texture the nuance they bring is really about what the script calls for and also the director's vision so it's really we do the same as you would for other casting calls in the VO industry, you have the ability to then choose from this whole palette of voices and, and, and caliber of talent. It's not just the name. And as right. Sue said with Lucian, he's done a lot of stuff like with Bob Bergen in that, in that industry in LA with a lot of the animation and a lot of that. It, you, you, you get known for the ability to be very versatile and be able to bring a lot of texture and, and as many different styles depending on what the production calls for. Some like it very straight, some Sometimes you want someone who could do endless characters and accents. Right. And, and Sue, you were saying before we got on the call that you guys have been doing a lot of casting over the last week or so. Yeah, and that that's Yes. Amazing. Yeah. Actually, I'm working on two projects right now. One is an audiobook called Presence, the play, in which the author has allowed me to take what is a traditional printed book and reimagine it completely and totally as if it were an audio play or an audio script so that we do have a narrator but the voice of the right the writer was so um, active it allowed for the narrator to really be thinned out a great deal and these characters to be fully realized you know take material from the narrator and give it to the character in the adaptation. So for that one, I'm working primarily with um, character actors and audiobook actors who are known for working on projects like Audible Originals and other things. Mm -hmm. You know, back in 2011, I did a project called Swords Point, which was written by Ellen Kushner. And I suggested at that point to the producer of the series, Neil Gaiman, that we bring in an ensemble cast to create some of the chapters that had many, 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 many characters in it. And while Ellen was a really good narrator who could bring her own material to life, these really big chapters were going to be too much. And um, they said, well, you know, that's kind of odd and unusual, but we'll try it. And I remember inviting Simon Jones, who at that time, you know, Arthur Dent, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the original, you know, ensemble actor, as far as I'm concerned. But um, he was on Broadway and many of the actors who work on Broadway will find their way into the audiobook and then into the ensemble community. And I remember sitting with Simon and explaining to him, well, this chapter was going to be read by Ellen alone because it was mostly uh, exposition and there weren't a lot of character voices. But here in this chapter, if he could play this character and this character, and he looked at me and he said, how is that going to work? Is the audience going to get it? And I went, I don't know, Simon, but let's give it a shot. What do you think? And now here we are 20 something years later where Audible Originals has tremendous casts. And as David was saying, even audiobooks, Penguin Random House did an amazing job with um, uh, 
Meryl Streep and a whole full cast of amazing oh, wow. people doing um, Charlotte's Web. And they got a Grammy nomination. So the reality is that once the industry allowed for a little chink in the armor, and the reality is, too, that in Europe, J. Michael, mm-hmm. they have never stopped producing audio drama. All over Europe, every day at four o'clock, BBC Four, there's a whole cast of characters. And Dame Judith Dench works for scale because she's working <laughs> for the BBC. Okay. Right. So the reality is that in Europe, they've never abandoned what was originally American art form in, in the art form of audio drama. But here in America, some people, you know, said it was too expensive. It wasn't commercial. It wasn't this. It wasn't that. It went to public radio for a time. And even there, it it lost the funding. It didn't lose the interest from the audience, but it lost the funding. And so when we pushed back, thanks to Ellen Kushner and what she allowed us to do with that book, um, when we made that push, it took a little time for the hit the rock to meet the top of the hill, but eventually it did. And now we have people like Aaron Paul doing originals for Audible with full cast from A-list actors that are really finding it such a wonderful thing to do. And during the pandemic, when video and TV shut down, audio just pivoted to the left. And all of a sudden, all these A-list actors were finding themselves in the bottom of their closets reading <laughs> the books. Right. And, and, I mean, you're throwing out a lot of, uh, you know, very substantial names there and A-list actors. But if, if Sheila, average voice actor at home listening to this right now, is interested in getting into this field, what does she have to do? Well, the first thing she wants to do is she wants to become familiar with the players. She wants to become familiar with the different uh, lines that Audible has available now that include these kinds of ensemble productions. And she wants to reach out to their casting managers. Penguin Random House, Hachette, McMillan, they all have right on their websites ways for you to put up demos that showcase your skill sets. And then there's a program called Ahab also that allows producers to search for people. Um, We post a lot through Backstage. I actually am working on another project that is about to go into recording. It's a six-part limited series called Day by Day. And we need actors who can portray having been through addiction and recovery for this series. And We went to backstage and said, this is an audio only thing. Send us your demo. If we think there's something there, we'll send you sides. I received 175 submissions for four characters. Wow. In the last 30 hours. I mean, it was only a day and a half ago. Wow, that's that's incredible. Uh, Go ahead. So to answer your question succinctly, if a person is interested in doing this kind of ensemble work, Number one, they want to see who else out there is doing it. Blackstone. Yeah, who's producing it? Blackstone, Audible, Hachette, Penguin Random, all these different companies. And then they want to find out what is the best way to approach their casting director. And, you know, there are, um, if you're doing primarily audiobooks, 
There is the Audio Publishers Association. If you're doing primarily public radio, there are other, you know, places to go there as well. So it really, I think, is very, very accessible these days. It's not like you had to know Sue, who knew Simon, who then could get to Marsha Mason and, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Well, and, and, to pay, and actually add a little bit to that, uh, if you don't mind, is that you're, we're on a podcast right now, and the quote-unquote scripted podcast is still the same audio play. I mean, podcast is like radio. It's just on-demand radio. People get to listen to it on their own. So there's a lot of, a lot of producers and independent producers that are creating either scripted podcasts, web series. So there's a lot of other avenues, even beyond just the standard publishing houses, that uh, actors could even get their feet wet and be able to try this out, just like in a sense learning ally has been a great resource for uh narrators who wanted to get their chops before trying to make it and you know get some practice and some skill and some learn learn what to do mm-hmm. uh there is a lot of possibilities in in podcast realm as well and yes the, and, go ahead sorry then, sir no 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 i was gonna say and then two a lot of little organizations and you know personal groups have sprung up because the technology has become much less expensive. When I first started producing multi-voice, fully realized audio productions, you needed to have at least an eight-track tape. You needed to have you know all this technology, a big room. You know now. Today, we were recording one actor in L.A., one actor in Texas, and we had an actor in New York, and everyone was interconnected. And I believe, you know, we're doing fabulous work. So I do think that, you know, it's about your interest and then beginning to search out ways to connect to like-minded individuals. Very good. And it's funny you mentioned Blackstone. Every time I hear Blackstone, I, I think of the Voice Arts Awards because they inevitably when they get to the audiobook categories every year, there is a representative from Blackstone there who just spends most of the evening walking up and down the stairs to collect another award. And yep. we have we have a we have a drinking game as to how many times they're gonna go down <laughs> in a night. <laughs> well, we've actually uh produced some stuff for Blackstone and won some awards. And, and one of the things, just to go back to the, the source. many the, awards. The, in doing that through Neil Gaiman Presents and getting that book produced, we actually won an Audi for that. And that's what helped leverage the notoriety. Like, oh, people will listen to this. People will actually like this. So now we have an industry that's been, as Sue had said, created and there's a lot of opportunities out there you know right. and if and not, as you know jay michael not everyone has the same temperament for different parts of this like some people like vo for commercials it's short you're a sprinter you're in and out of the boot quickly mm-hmm. some people like to be in a, a booth and really do a deep character dive and, and like in an audiobook gives you that opportunity if you're doing a 20-hour audiobook you definitely are getting in a deep dive much more right. than doing a 30 second spot <laughs> but if you're doing ensemble work You have to be a hell of an actor because ensemble work is done very often out of order the same way film is done. In order to be able to afford at the audio level the magnificent cast that Sue wants to hire, she has to be most cost effective with everybody's time and talent. And so we do these lines to these lines and these lines to these lines and we get through an entire character's arc. But the lead has to remember 
what he said on this page to that character, because now a new character is being recorded on a new day with him. So in order to do ensemble work, very often it is broken up that way. It's broken up like a film is broken up. And if you are one of those lead characters, you need to be really good and really trained and or you know have some amazing skills because to be able to come back in the day after or a week later and know exactly where that character was is pretty amazing yeah because of the beginning the middle the end you have the you know the the beginning you have the character in a one place where at the end where it's very emotional and if you start out with that emotional you have to have been where you lead up to that so that is you know to be able to really be able to fit into wherever, as Sue said, the character is in that part of the story. So sometimes, you know, we, if, if we have the luxury and the budget to do it in order with everybody <laughs> there, that's awesome. But unfortunately, you know, we, you know, we just don't usually have the budget. So there's a lot of uh, prep work that's required to break apart the script and see who is interacting with who. And then this jigsaw puzzle, figuring out like the studio time. So there is a lot of prep work that people don't realize as well to be able to do this successfully, to make sure that you are able to get a good capture and have something that's worth, you know, putting together. Right. And so, so what you're saying is that unlike those of us who will sell you cars or beef jerky, these people have actual talent. <laughs> no, 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 no. To sell cars and beef jerky. No, 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 no. You sell... get me to buy beef jerky. That's talent. That's talent, yeah, right? Yeah, it's like... yeah. no, but it's a different kind of it's a different kind of talent, Jay Michael. It it's not it's not about talent. It's about training and it's about understanding how to hold on to that character. And I believe that the voiceover actors who do commercials, um, do you know Joe Barone? He was a student of mine at Hofstra mm -hmm. University. And Joe, you know, had this unbelievable ability to, in just, you know, the speed of sound, bring a character out, make you buy whatever the hell it was he was selling, and then he'd disappear back into Joe Barone. And I was always amazed. Or Bob Caliban. Oh, my God, Bob Caliban. But Bob was somebody who also loved to do ensemble work. He came from stage. He was classically trained. So I do think that there are similar skill sets, but if you're going to do ensemble work, you have to have that long haul mentality to understand that it's not, you know, it's not the same kind of pulling your talent out and then you know, leaving the room because it's done, you know, so right. it's, it, it's, a, it's about having consistency, you know, having that continuity director who remembers the tie was on the left and not on the right. Right. And, and now you're both also specialists and experts in sound effects and, and Foley. How does that play into all of this? And uh, it tells us a little bit about the importance of sound well, effects in this kind of media. I'll, I'll just do a little bit is like the way I try to presented is like anybody can pick up a guitar and pull that string not everyone can make music you right. know that's kind of the same thing with a prop anybody can pick up a squeeze box and a squeak machine but not everyone can make it actually you know you're acting the physicality of the character in the moment so in a sense you are also a performer and you bring the rest of that audio picture to life and that is part of you know it, it's it's, it's the ability to be able to, in an audio only, 
kind of basically visualize what is going on in that moment and create that physicality that helps further make the story more engaging and, 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 and sucks you in so that you, you, get, you suspend your disbelief and you, you're bought in that this is really happening in real time. You know, whether it's the, the footsteps of the angry person running across the room or the person who's sneaking into the bedroom trying not to get caught while they're sneaking out to go out and for a party or whatever. It's really about, you know, making the whole world, the entire sound window alive. So it's another skill, just like a, a performer who, who's doing, you know, the short spot or the long spot or using their voice or a musician who is playing the music. The same thing with a sound effects artist is also performing, who's, who's acting through the props. So that's, that's like with Foley or manual sound effects. And then someone who brings in the library of effects and brings them all together and, and blends them together to make that scene feel like you actually captured it in the moment in real time rather than spending eight hours a minute assembling this thing so that you believe it's exactly what the director had intended. So one of the fun things about sound effects work, and <clears throat> I have a real attitude, Jay Michael, I will tell you, I was, <laughs> trained, I was trained by Al Schaefer the man who created what everybody believes the atomic bomb sounded like. Oh, wow. And actually, when these artists first began, their original title under the union was Sound Pattern Designer. When we work in sound only, I very much call us sound effects artists. Foley means that there is a visual component, and that visual component changes the performance, and I'll explain why. So I'm doing a scene from Ocean's Eleven and there's George Clooney and um, Julia Roberts and they're in the kitchen and they're having a conversation and she's mad at him because he's cheated on her or whatever's going on. And in the scene, if I'm doing sound effects, I'm only listening to the actress's voice and I'm only physically representing her. So what happens is if I decide as the performer, she needs to stamp her foot here or she needs to move or she needs to shuffle or she throws something at him. I've decided all of that based on the vocal performance that I've been listening to. When I do Foley, I am locked to the physicality of what the actress or the person I'm performing did. This doesn't mean we don't use similar props. It doesn't mean that we don't use similar techniques, but there really does come down to a very different performance moment for the sound effects artist or the Foley artist, because that Foley artist can't choose an extra footstep for Julia. I, as a sound effects artist, can choose as many footsteps as I want. So there is a difference. And also, so I'm really, I really have an attitude about it because I think sound mm -hmm. effects have a very different, you know, skill set in some ways than Foley. And the other thing I love about sound effects is that you trick the world. You're, you're, you've got to listen to the world the way your microphone hears it, not the way our ears hear it, because our ears are constantly filtering. If we weren't relying on our brains, that psychoacoustic aspect of them to go, nope, don't need that, nope, don't need that, don't need that, don't need that, nope, that's not going to make me die, that's not going to make me die, then I would be listening to 100% of my environment, which doesn't happen because I'd be distracted all the time. So we, we have to test our props on mic to make sure that 
they are in fact coming across as what we want them to be. So for example, I've got one right here for you that I'm gonna try and hopefully it'll work. Mm -hmm. Here we go. Are you hearing the squeak? Um, it sounds like you're eating something crunchy. Okay, or I'm walking in snow. Ah, there you go. Okay, so what I'm doing actually is I'm squeezing ah, I can hear a that. box of cornstarch. <laughs> David, so David, David, okay. no, David knows that my brain goes immediately to food. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been eating cereal. It could have sure. been eating cereal. But, but it's the, the prop, yeah. <laughs> but it's about it's about the prop. And so having trained with Al Schaefer many, many years ago, um, I was lucky enough to inherit the props that he used both for WOR and WCBS when he decided to retire. And we learned that David and I both, because I shared with him, you know, the skill sets that I learned from Al, we learned that in order to really um, make the audience be able to dispel that disbelief when they're listening, the sound has to be what we believe it is, not what it actually is. Mm -hmm. So that's that's where the magic, I think, occurs. Very interesting. I, I, I love it because it's all theater of the mind. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. It, it's really fascinating. So, I mean, obviously, we're in a, a challenging time for the world, and you guys working with ensemble casts. Um, how did the pandemic create challenges for ensemble recording, and how did you overcome those obstacles? Well, that's a that's a good thing you bring up. A lot of the technology we did for the remote work kind of put us a little bit in a better position. We were doing um, some work for a, a, a children's learning gaming company, and we would bring actors in person and we'd have remote actors who would re record and we came up with a, a way to make it work. And so we kind of already were a little ahead of the game. What I do have to say is a lot of the stuff that people use now was kind of, it was forced to be matured faster because everybody was remote. So in a lot of ways we benefited because a lot of people kind of basically was a, a laboratory where they were able to work through by necessity to come up with better solutions than what we originally started with to be able to have something with no latency. And that was the big killer of the, you know, it, it really ruined the performance if there was too much lag. So being able to have something where an improvisation moment between two actors could happen is critical for some of the kinds of performance stuff that we work. That's what makes it feel authentic and genuine. And you think the people are actually in the same room with our productions at the same time, even though they're all over the world in different time zones. So it's, it's a challenge because the, the home recording environments, we had to stipulate certain things they needed to have that no latency. They had to have a hardwired internet connection. Mm -hmm. They had to have a, a, a room or a quiet room, which you know, I mean, you make your pillow forts when you're on the road. <laughs> um, and a lot of that's what people had to do is they would find the quietest place and put up a bunch of pillows, maybe use a shotgun mic because it focused and canceled out a lot exactly. you know like the 416 um but you know really having to go through their their technology in their room to make sure it's quiet enough make sure they had a really robust internet connection then we were able to actually connect with them and make it possible to have that no latency you know because the other one 
recordings we could do if they had no internet connection we could do a phone patch and it would work okay but the latency with the other performance was the big hurdle and mm -hmm. so that being said there's a number of platforms that have matured and come about because of the pandemic this made my life much easier right uh, it, it's uh, it, 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 it's remarkable to see that the uh, what technology has done for our industry and how it's able to to kind of transform this business from something that used to be so in person to what it is today. And I mean, being ahead of the curve as you guys were, did that give you a bit of an advantage over the competition? Um, in some ways, we were able to, you know, ha I had to dismantle my studio when they shut the building down and because I still had work to do. So my, my dining room table became the best surround recording and, and, and mix down room, <laughs> best <laughs> sounding dining room you'd ever see <laughs> in here. Um, but we also do other work, not just in audio only ensemble. You know, I do right. in mixing for film and television, and I do even um, virtual reality and gaming and ambisonics and all that. So for us, we just kind of segued from doing the stuff we were in the studio to doing everything remote because nothing could be in person. And the responsibilities with the clients and the contracts and the, the work, fortunately for us, we were still able to deliver and we were able to continue to service the clients. And for a couple of the clients, it was no different because all of this stuff was remote anyway. Right. So that way we were already ahead of the game because we already had a base of work and clients that allowed us to continue those. It was the in-person stuff and the going out to venues, the live, you know, experiential things that we were doing. That's what really took a hit. Just like, mm -hmm. you know, the entire, you know, Broadway is still hopefully is going to open next month, but you know, that, <laughs> that's an entire <laughs> industry. <laughs> right. Well, but, and, and to the other, the other aspect of it is, you know, David talks about the commercial side of our industry, but for me as a teacher, as someone who at NYU in the film school on March 6th, on a Friday, I said to my class, goodbye, I'll see you next week. And the following week, the way I saw them was in Zoom. Um, I had to really get very um, creative and diligent about sharing with them exactly what I was doing, like working for one publisher where I literally spent half a day with an actor in London who'd been sent a laptop and a microphone and was told to find some place in his apartment where he could record this audiobook. And so we spent a day going, no, Oliver, not there. No, Oliver, that's not going to work. Uh, there's too much noise from your your tenant next door, and this and that. Until we the refrigerator finally, is too loud. <laughs> yeah, you know, until we finally found the corner where he could do it. And many of the books that I would normally have gone into the studio and looked at them in the eyes and all the rest of it, all of a sudden, as a director, I had to now find somewhat new ways to get into. Um, explaining to a narrator or a performer, can you try this again? Can you get me this again? Just because I wasn't seeing them now, I was hearing them only. So there was a bit of a an, an adaptation there. And for my students, you know, being able to say to them, this is what's going on in the world today, and you're getting an education in the moment. Mm -hmm. In the moment was really valuable, I think.
Yeah, you, I, it really was amazing to watch too. You know, and basically her thing of calling her students content creator warriors, and they were like, "Well, why? What's the point?" And it's like, "Well, the point is, as you mentioned before, Steve Colbert was doing it on an iPhone in his bathtub." <laughs> That's what the world was doing. So they needed to learn this skill set because that's where work was happening. And they needed right. to learn that this is what is now what's happening. And right, so you, right. you, you talked about your, your teaching at NYU. Uh, do you guys, if, if, if our listeners are interested in getting into this field, do you offer training? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I've done during the pandemic, I, w I worked with a wonderful theater company out of Louisville, Kentucky, the Actors Theater Company, and I helped them to understand how to capture two stage productions, Dracula and A Christmas Carol, which were big, important main stage fundraisers for the company, how to get those stage actors captured and all the rest of that. And as a result, I've gone back and done more voiceover uh, workshops for them and other, you know, that are about ensemble performance uh, for them, as well as for uh, some universities where the students, you know, heard that we were doing this kind of work and it has become more popular for mainstream and if someone wants to get in touch with you guys how do they do that they can reach out to us at radio waves studios at gmail.com that's radio waves with an s studios at gmail.com they can also look us up online sue media productions and send us an email through the website and we have both the production part of the company where we do uh, we're an independent publisher of uh audio books and all things audio so we do and also uh, we're you know as in a sense transmedia storytellers because yes. we also look at a story and how can you tell it in all these different mediums because you have a stage play and you change that to audio the stage direction are not right. really valid. You have to do that all through sound. So the same story that can be told in a VR experience, in a in a in an audio only experience, in a film experience. All of these different ways are an adaptation for that medium, and that's what we specialize. Is sometimes someone will come to, with us. With this is the project of a story, and we want to be able to sell it and and produce it and put it on on the variety of platforms, not just a one off on one particular approach. Very right. Good. And and one area, too, that's really blossomed is independent filmmakers and some of the big production companies, too. They recognize that producing a demo of a script in audio only gives them a fully realized, you know, proof of concept without spending nearly as much to do anything in video. They can do the entire script in audio only for proof of concept, sizzle reels, all the things that they need um, for less than shooting one scene in the film. Uh, and now, I know that this is very labor-intensive and intellectually intensive work that you do, and I also know that David is a gentleman who will unwind with a nice meal, a lovely cigar, and, uh, and the correct beverage. Sue, what do you do to relax after all of this hard work you do? Well, uh, sushi is often high on my list. I'm a big <laughs> fan of sake. Yeah, sushi um, sake, baby. Yeah, <laughs> sushi sake. Uh, a nice bourbon once in a while is a good thing, too. Um, but actually, what I do to relax is listen. I really love the experience of listening to whatever it might be. And so 
I find that if I'm going to put my feet up for a bit, you know, there might be a TV show or series that interests me, but I also like to listen a lot. If you had cooking, I love cooking. (laughs) We like traveling and then try to learn the food where we're traveling to and then bring that skill back home so we can enjoy it longer and recreate those dishes at home. If you each had one piece of sushi before you left the, the <laughs> earthly plane, what would that piece be? Oh, I know it's Suzar. <laughs> uh, actually, I'd have to ask for two. One would yeah. be uni with quail eggs, Ooh. and the other would be eel with a uh, fresh green scallion. Ooh, very nice, David. Yeah, no, uh, uni. Uh, with, uh, yes, the sea urchin with the, the the quail egg is is really high on my list as well because it's just, uh, and also toro. I have to say mm-hmm. that lovely fatty tuna that just melts like like fish butter in your mouth. Mm-hmm. It's just divine. <laughs> fish butter. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> we like the cora too. <laughs> David Chin, Suzuza, thank you guys so much for being here today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, thank you very much for yeah, having thank us. You for us to, uh, yeah, thank you for inviting us to. Yes, to thank you for inviting us to participate with your um, your podcast. Uh, we hope we brought at least something of interest for your listeners. Absolutely, I think they get a lot out of this. Thank you guys so much. And uh, until next time, folks, you know what time it is. Here's Kayla. You have been listening to This Week in BO with J. Michael Collins. Be sure to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues on social media. If you do, JMC might just send you a lobster. Now here's nobody trying to sell you anything, because that's just how we roll. Stay tuned for a new podcast most weeks throughout the year. 